0: Good morning, good morning. Okay, so a few rashis. We always like to choose rashis in different sections, so this time I went backwards. We'll study some rashis from the end of the parsha. Okay, so um, Torah describes the delivery of Torah, as I started to speak about last night. And Moshe calls Aaron in, and all the Nassim come in, and Moshe speaks to them. Adaber Moshe Alehem. P'yacharechein nikshu kol then Olav Amisol came in. and Moshe taught them. His kolashadibera Hashem itel So, how was the Torah delivered? What was the mechanism? What was the sequencing? So, listen to Rashi. Rashi says as follows: Tan quotes the Mishnah. Moshe taught Aaron the entire Torah. Then Aaron stepped to the side, and then he sat on the left of Moshe Rabbeinu. And then Aaron's children came in. So Moshe taught them the Torah. Okay. Now, Elazar sat on the right, Itamar sat on the left. At this point, now had already died. Remember, it's a little bit later, it's a couple of parshas later, but this is all happening together. So, Elazar and Itamar come in, Moshe teaches them, Aaron's sitting on the side, and they now sit on the side and listen. Now, the Skenim come in. Now, Moshe gives a third round of teaching Kalantar Kula, while Aaron and Elazar and Itamar are sitting on the side. Okay? After he finishes the Skenim, the Skenim sit on the side, and then all of Amishra comes in. It's hard to know how they all come in, but um, after the Skenim, then nichmesu kolam, people, regular people came in, and then Moshe taught them. So there's a lot to unpack here. We're not going to discuss today why everyone sat on the side after the finished learning. After they finish learning, go home, get a lunch, you know, go take a walk in the, in the sands, I don't know. Why after Aaron finished learning, does he sit next to Moshe? Why after his son finished learning, he sit next to Moshe? What we'll talk about is, Moshe is basically teaching the Torah four times. Wouldn't it have been easier for Moshe to teach Aaron and say, look, i got to go back to the Aaron now. i got to go back to the Mishkan. And Aaron, you teach your sons. And let your, let your sons teach this Canaan. And let this Canaan teach the people. It's more efficient. It's more economical. Why does Moshe have to teach Aaron and Allah's Samar and the Zerani and Kolam? For two reasons. First of all, because that's the ultimate Rebbe. The ultimate Rebbe is someone that doesn't just give a shir. Each one of these experiences were different. Aaron obviously understood a lot more than his children, because he was Aaron. And his children understood a lot more than the skenim because they were khanim. And the skenim understood a lot more than the regular hamonam because they were skenim. And Moshe was able to calibrate his voice and teach Tara at so many different levels, whether he's sitting with Aaron Akkad or whether he's sitting with some ignorant uh, shepherd that just happened to come and sit and learn. And Amir Tz when you think about your goals in life and your ambition in life to teach Tara, and maybe to teach Tara in a formal capacity, part of what made Rabbi Saloveitchik so stunning is that he could give a sheer, probably the be- one of the top British shi'er that I've ever given in the last 200 years. And then he'd walk into Maimonides, which was the day school in Boston, and he'd talk to a first grader and he'd give him a little, uh, what does the word gracious mean? What is- Sometimes when you teach Torah, you get stuck in your place. This is who I'm teaching to, and I don't want to teach anyone else, and I can't teach someone else. And it's not just because you want to be the best teacher and you want your range to expand. If you see yourself as, well, it's my Torah and I'm the teacher, then you find, you know, I'm a gastro-doctor, I'm an oncologist, I'm a pulmonary. <laughs> if you you just want to spread Hashem's Torah, and you're the conduit. So, you spread it to everyone once hear. Spread it to Gedolim, K'tanim, K'tanim Shura G'dolim, Gedolim, Shura You just, you see Masha Rabbeinu depersonalizing the experience and teaching at many different levels. And that's why it's important for Moshe to teach all the levels. Why it's important for Am Yisrael to hear it from Moshe is because it's important that they see that it's Torah Sinai and that they're getting it third or fourth hand. It's harder for them to see it. That's why when the Torah describes Moshe teaching the general people, that's redundant. We know that Hashem told Moshe the Torah at Har Sinai. The Torah is stressing by learning from Moshe, they were better able to see themselves at Har Sinai. And we talk about the Masara, and I talked about it a little bit last night, why it's so important to know who you learned from where that person learned from, not just that you should know you belong, right? If you know that you learn, let's say from me, and I learned from Ivar and Ivar learned from the Rabbit, the Rahim, you just feel comfortable, it gives you a moon, it gives you strength. But also, can you feel that the Torah you're receiving right now or in an hour somehow is trickling down, cascading down, changing throughout generations. But basically this Torah was set back by Kurishbar <laughs> Whatever you're gonna learn today, if you know that you're part of a Masar, you know, we're ready just sit in the corner and open a safer and decide this is how to learn Isha and or whatever so you're learning. He heard from His Rebbe, heard from His Rebbe, or from His Rebbe, not so long ago, we stood at Sinai. So Moshe teaching all the sectors, not just teaching Aaron and now you teach your sons, let them teach this game, and let them teach them onam. Moshe teaching everyone, on the one hand, is a testament to Moshe Rabbeinu, that he's not saying, oh, these are the people I want to teach, it's beneath my dignity to teach other people, but you share whatever Torah you can because it's not your Torah, it's the like Kodesh Baruch Torah, you want to give it to as many people as you can. Number two, on the receiving end, they're able to see it as a Torah of Sinai, because they're hearing it from Moshe. Every sector is hearing it directly from Moshe. Okay, um, let's talk about, let's hurry up. Okay, um, how did they sin in the ego? Let's move all the way back to the ego. So, Yaram, kiboshesh Moshe. The Moshe was a little bit late. I'm not going into the details of why it was late. It went up at midday, so that first day he went up didn't really count. They thought it did count, so they, they read Rashi for the calculations. The Satan exploited this concern, but he didn't just come and tell them. And whether it was a Satan, like some external force that came, where there was internal voice of fear, Satan gives both, It's not just some angel whose job it is to confuse you job Hashem gives him. He's not Satan, he's Satan. Satan is the Christian version where he rebels against God. Satan is the Jewish version where he's a Malach hashemis, And Hashem wants him to confuse you so that you have Bechir HaVshiz. If you saw Hashem as clearly as you see him during the Elah, you wouldn't have Bechir HaVshiz. So Hashem gives a Malach the job to confuse you, make you weak, make you have desires, so you have a real choice. (coughs) So your choice is real and courageous and, and, (coughs) and actual. So whether it's the Satan or the internal fears, all of a sudden, not just was Moshe late, but they saw there was a storm. There was a hurricane. There was a, a, a desert gale storm. Ba'ath the It's obviously a Malach. He came and he made this horrible storm, and the sands were swirling, and there was darkness, and the planets were eclipsed. The Herod Moshe Choshech I think it's suddenly very dark, and confusing. Lomer died Moshe. Moshe has died. That's why things are so confusing. Now, why do you have to make this whole pyrotechnic show? Just come and say Moshe was late. He died. He went up to heaven. He's not coming back down. Spaceship crashed. No more oxygen. Why do you have to make this help? Because confusion and fear is is sometimes the basis of our sin. When you really, really dig down to sin, a lot of it is based on fear. Now, what are you afraid of? What are your insecurities? What are your anxieties? But a lot of times, the sins that we take for ourselves are ways that we deal with the deepest fears that we have, and the deepest needs that we have because of fear that we have. And that's uh, magnified, when the world around you is in chaos, when the world around you is swirling, as it is now. And emuna means you have the courage, first of all, not to be confused by the confusion around you, not to give in to your fear. So what was the actual manifestation of their sin? They wanted an idol to intermediate between themselves and HaKadosh Baruch, or they wanted something physical. But if you get down to the root of the sin, not the manifestation of the sin, the psychological root, it was fear, it was pachad. Pachad stoked by Moshe's disappearance, and magnified or exacerbated by the storm that the Southern had created. So just think about how you want to deal with your fears in life. We all have fears. We all live with fears. They come out in our dreams, right? How do you deal with fears? Do we eat to deal with fears? Do we take sexual uh, violations to deal with fears? If you dig down, this is really a seminal moment in the pathology of sin. here is miracles showing us what sin is and where sin comes from. They're afraid. They have anxieties, and don't be afraid to be afraid. Right? That's what life is—to be afraid. It's how we deal with our fears. That's what courage means. You deny fear. Courage means you live with it and you handle it and you manage it. They're afraid, and the world around them is swirling. So he, he wanted to exacerbate the fear. Once you're afraid, you're vulnerable. Once you're vulnerable, so point is, if you want to be an Obed Hashem, try to work with fear. Don't just work with desire and lust and jealousy and pettiness, because there's a layer deeper than that—a layer more internal to you. That's fear and anxiety, and if that can be addressed, or at least acknowledged, then sometimes you know, oh, I'm just doing this because I'm afraid to, I'm afraid to. When People don't get up in the mornings they're afraid to face challenges that they know they may not succeed at. So people are afraid to go into relationships because they're afraid. Fear is one of the most basic human incapacitators, and your ability to deal with fear unleashes human potential and religious potential. So it's a really interesting study about how we deal with our fears, and the something is trying to magnify the fears. Okay. Let's flip back to uh, the end of the Parsha. Let's we'll see how many Rashi's you can get in. Okay? One of my favorite, my favorite tropes. Okay? Moshe finishes speaking, and he puts a mask on his face. And then when Hashem spoke to him, he took off the mask, and he spoke to Am Yisrael, and they saw his face, and his face had the glow, the radiance. Moshe a and he puts the mask back on. So what's the milah mancha, the word that controls the text, masve. The word mask is repeated three times in the span of three sukkim. What does the word masve mean? Well, we know what it means. It's a mask. It's written in But what's the root of mass It's a strange root, right? It doesn't sound like a Hebrew root. Masveh. So Rashi quotes Ungulas without getting into Uncles. Rashi tells us, oh, it's an Aramaic word. Aha, ching-ching-ching. We always know that we have foreign words. We have to ask, why does the Kaddish Baruch choose a foreign word rather than a local Hebrew word? Why is Hashem choosing a foreign word? How does the style, the fact that Hashem conveys this information with a foreign word, match the context? So part of it is, the style actually matches the style, because if it's a foreign word, they're putting a mask on, Moshe creates distance between himself and the people. So Moshe feels foreign. So when people are saying, what's on Moshe's face? Oh, he seems so far away from us. So there's a foreign word describing creating distance and a foreign nature to the relationship. But it's more than that. Using a foreign word always tells us this is not something desirable. This is not something Hashem wants. It's not something that Hashem wants. Hashem is going to use a word that's not part of Hebrew to show this is undesirable. This is not the ideal. This is what the Arabs do, or the Aramaics do, or the Persians do. So Hashem chooses a word. It right? is not ideal for Moshe to be wearing a mask. This is not the ideal state. There's a tragedy here. right? If, remember all the old movies you see where these monarchs wear these actual masks, the Greek masks, and Persian wear these like metal masks on their face? And in many worlds, you weren't actually allowed to look at the monarch. We we have a hard time identifying with that. But when you approached a monarch, you had to keep your head bowed, and you couldn't even look at him until he or she gave you permission, which they rarely did. But even aside from that ridiculous day where you can't look at someone, not seeing someone as great as they are, not seeing their real face, and not seeing their eyes, and not seeing their identity, is not ideal. It's unfortunate because they don't have the capacity right now to process the light because of their sin and their degraded state. But this is not an ideal state. You want to look at people, understand people, even great people, even Moshe Rabbeinu. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu is conveying the fact that this is not ideal for them not to see Moshe in his face only when he's teaching in Torah, but not when he's not teaching Torah, right? You want to see people in the broad range of their lives, not just in Shia. What makes the Shiva so successful? Because hopefully you see us not just in the classroom, but in the lunchroom, and in the basement, walking down the hallways. So when they were learning Torah from Moshe, the mask was removed. But the rest of the time it was on his face. It means they only saw Moshe as a Rebbe. They didn't see Moshe as a human being. And seeing God as a human being is part of being able to appreciate Godless, that he's a human being and you see him not just when he's teaching Torah. So this is a very, very unfortunate situation. It's not desirable and to highlight it's not desirable, Hashem describes it in a word that's foreign. It's not part of the Hebrew lexicon and it's not part of the desirable situation that the wants. Okay, <coughs> do we have time for one more Rashi? Just to slip in one more Rashi? What time is it? How long have we been speaking? Do we keep it from lunch? Okay, question Rashi, okay. Osi Beniu of Anbinayisel. You said every Shabbos, Shemu of Anbinayisel, Shabbos, Loso, Shabbos, Losem, Risolam. It's in Pasha Kitisa. Beniu of Anbinayisel, Osi Leolam. Why is it? We know it's a breast, but why is it an os? What does it show about our relationship with the Kurdish Brahma? Like, it shows that it's chosen you. So Rashi says, Osi Beniu of Anbinayisel. Where's the Rashi? I don't want to take more, too much time here. Okay, it's not in this Rashi, it's in different Rashis. Uh, so Rashi, I'll just quote it, it by Rashi says, what's the os? The os is that. Our day of rest is the same day of rest as a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's the oath that we were chosen. How is that an oath that we were chosen? That our day of rest is the same day the Kaddish Baruch Hu rested. So first of all, isn't it pretty cool that every religion chose a day of rest, but no one touched Shabbos? So the Christians chose Sunday, and the Muslim chose Friday. They could have chosen Shabbos, and they probably would have, uh, you know, eliminated, not eliminated our Shabbos, but they would have overlapped with us. So why did Islam choose Friday? And why did Christianity choose something? It's like, oh, the Jews already have Shabbos, we can't take it. The Jews were marginalized to society. Muhammad wasn't thinking about Jews, he was thinking about how to build... So the fact that historically this remained our day, the day that HaKadosh Baruch Hu rested and the day he gave us, shows that as challenging as history was, Hashem always protected Shabbos for us. And Shabbos always remained impenetrable and inviolate. But it's more than just, oh, by the way, Hashem gave us Shabbos and therefore He protected our Shabbos. We try to be like Hashem. That's our goal in life, to fashion our personalities like the bonus Shalom. We want to be moral like Hashem. We want to be creative like Hashem. We we'll want to do everything as best as we can like Hashem. That's what it means to be a Jew. But everything we try to do like Hashem is only an approximate, because we can't really be like Hashem. What's the closest we can come to being like Hashem? Not by doing anything, because everything we do will be short but by doing nothing. What's the only day we do nothing like Hashem did nothing? Shabbos. The closest we can come to approximating Hashem is when we do nothing. <laughs> because when we try to do something like Hashem, it's always gonna fall short. The closest we can come to being like Hashem is inactivity, because then the gap basically doesn't exist. We didn't do anything. So on Shabbos, we're the closest we can ever be to karish Hu by imitating him because let's say today I want to be compassionate and I'll go out and save a cat from a tree, and I'll stop work for an old lady, and I'll go to the hospital, and I'll go make like a barbecue on I'll and I'll go and max out Chesed to be like Hashem. Come on. So I'm supporting the universe. you just just up through a couple cats and trees. and So you're getting close to that. And you have your own personal motives. So you're getting close to that, Kodesh Baruch Hu, but there's no possible... Let's say I, I write the uh, fifteen Svarim today and I redo... Uh, I'm trying to be like Hashem to create Torah. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're a little chiddish. The close I can come is a mid-shem in two days. Okay. If you're not, it shows that all my desire to be like Hashem, the best way I can be like Hashem is... It's not really, Because when I try to be like Hashem, I can't be like Hashem. When I can be like Hashem, it's not doing anything. That's the else. Rashi says that your day of rest is his day of rest. If you rest on Sunday, you're not being like Hashem, because he didn't rest on Sunday. If you rest on Friday, you're not being like Hashem, because he didn't rest on Friday. If you rest on the day he rested. So it's not just, oh, by the way, it's a nice synchronization. Hashem rested on Shabbos, we rest on Shabbos. The Christians and Muslims didn't steal it. It's ours. It's more theological. That by resting on the day Hashem rested, we are literally, literally Recycling or re experience the exact same experience that Kodesh Baruch Hu has, which is an amazing concept because it's the closest you'll come as a human being to be like Hashem by doing nothing. And it's a theological proof that you really can't be like Hashem if you're trying to do something. The only way you can be like a Baruch Hu is by doing nothing. And that's what Shabbos says. Okay, so we got four Rashis in one of the four Rashis. We spoke about Moshe teaching all the people. Don't teach only a certain sect Teach as many people as you can. There are people hearing it from Moshe, imagining it from Moshe We spoke about confusion and fear as the source of sin and how to deal with your fear and your confusion. We spoke about the masveh, the mask, in a foreign word. This is not desirable for people not to see you or people not to see Rebbeim and putting on masks in life and not showing your real self, showing your vulnerability, showing who you are. And we spoke about Shabbos, Osi, Benio, You say it every Shabbos in Kiddush. Our day of rest was a Baruch Hu's day of rest, and no one took it away from us. Have a good morning, everyone. want to get that fourth Rashi.